0: Welcome to the Elenia Church Podcast, your place to catch all of Elenia Church's previous messages, messages designed to equip you on your journey with Christ. Well, today we continue our series, Origin Stories. Every time we encounter a hero or a villain in a comic book, there is an origin story that defines why they are who they are. But today we learn about the origin story of the Bible. The Bible can be intimidating. A lot of that intimidation can come from the fact that most of us don't know where it came from. And how i got here well is it something that can be trusted what do we do when critics challenge its validity well, tune in today to learn what the bible is how it came to be and how it is applicable for us today enjoy all right um tomorrow i will first today is the big game right this is super bowl uh just a show of hands how many of you are pulling for the rams give me a whoop whoop three of you. All right. How many of y'all are pulling for the uh, bangles? All right. How many of y'all don't care? There we go. That's it. Um, I had a really um, great friend I worked with uh, at my previous uh, stint, and uh, we would do March Madness every March, and we'd have the big board, and we would lay out all the teams, and um, we we put some money in the um, in the budget to be able to reward whoever won every year and uh, my friend Becca, she uh, would go through and she would get, she would do pretty good, she wouldn't win but she'd do pretty good and I said, Becca, what is your, um, what's your rationale behind what teams you pick on uh, March Madness and she said, I've just picked my favorite color. So she just went through the entire board and picked her favorite color and that's you knew what her favorite color color was cuz that's who she picked to win the the entire thing. Uh also tomorrow uh just to make sure you guys know this, it's singles awareness day. So, yeah. All right. Also known aka Valentine's Day, which was uh, created it was um, one, it was created for Hallmark so they can make some more money. Uh, it was also created because we're all so utterly miserable in February. Can we, can we please get something above 60 degrees? Thank you, Jesus. Um, uh, I, have a, I have a, There is a block of people at the church that are threatening to move to Florida. Um, we just remind them that there are more tornadoes in Florida than Tennessee. just want everybody to know that. It's very true. Very true. Uh, all right. Also, for the couples, let me see the couples. Raise your hand. All skate. All right. I'm looking at people that are couples, and if you're not raising your hand, it makes me suspicious. All right. I'm like, I'm like, do you need to change your Facebook profile to it's complicated? All right, uh, all right. Let me ask, let me ask an honest question for the uh, for the guys. How many of you, and it's okay, raise your hand, it's okay. Um, how many of you have not thought about Valentine's Day at all? All right, can I borrow you a second? Can you come here a second? Yeah, yeah. Um, Kimmy, can I? So we're we're, we're going to take care of you. So this you give to your significant other and say happy Valentine's Day. All right. And then also we have a gift card here to Steakhouse 5. And so you can take her on a lovely date. There you go. All right. Uh, Why did I pick him and not you? He looks cooler than you, so that's... All right, all right. Let me read our scripture today before we get out of hand. Um, It's going to be up on the screen. I don't have the TV today because... uh, I just I have so much to go through, but the scriptures, uh, all scriptures I would say, will be up on the TV today. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen uh, says all scripture is inspired by God, and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All right, um, before we pray, uh, and just pray for the service. Just also want to make sure that we keep in mind just to pray for the. Uh, the crisis that's going on in Ukraine, um, you know. Every time I turn on the TV, I'm like, "Good night. What is going on?" Let's just pray for that. I also want to pray for the laws. Um, Ryan's grandmother is not doing well; may not uh, make it through through the day. He's up here worshiping um, as as he's going through that. Um, and, and likewise, I mean, for uh, even for Asia, her her mom um, is recovering from sickness and and uh they're up here worshiping every Sunday. So thank you very much. So let's just pray and, and keep them in our prayers as well. Father God, we uh just pray for the service. Man, there's so much to go through today. And I pray, I pray as uh, just as Nancy prayed over me this morning that I wouldn't say what you don't want me to say and I would say exactly what you want me to say. And if you want to change this mid-message, go for it. Um but God I just pray that your spirit would be here and would be evident. We pray for the things that are going on in Ukraine. God, I pray that cooler heads would prevail. And I pray, Father God, that that you would show yourself strong, that your will would be done, that you have the ability, and we've seen it over and over and over, to change the hearts of men. And so, God, we pray that you would change hearts this morning. We pray for the people on the ground, that you would provide for them, that you would protect them. Pray for safety. Pray for our troops for safety. And God, we pray for, just want to lift up uh, the Law family and his grandmother. God, that you would uh, just surround her with love right now. As she's going with she's going through and that you would give the doctors wisdom. And above all, pray a peace that would surpass all understanding. That would guard their hearts and minds. That it would be a, a room of a room of love, a room of grace, a room of your spirit being evident. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, I, confession, I I used to really hate flying. Uh, I hated flying. I was scared to death of it. Um, I didn't want to fly. It wasn't until I got into college uh, that I had my first flight. And it was a doozy uh, because I was on a mission trip to go to Hong Kong. And uh, we were doing something very scandalous in Hong Kong. We were smuggling Bibles into China. So, sorry Chinese authorities, I'm responsible for some Bibles being in your country. Um, I don't think they have any jurisdiction here, but anyway. Um, so, we flew from Roanoke, Virginia to Dulles um, International Airport on a puddle jumper, uh, also known as a ceiling fan plane, because they, the, they put your ceiling fan on the front of the plane and that's how they, and they wind it up with rubber bands, because um, that's what it felt like. And then we flew from Dulles to LA, and then we flew from LA to Hong Kong on a 747. And I was freaked out the entire time. I literally, no joke, had the last seat on the back of that 747 jumbo jet. I mean, I was freaked. I didn't sleep. I was. I just knew the sky was going to fall out of the uh, the the plane was going to fall out of the sky at any moment. So I was really worked up. I'm a warrior ward. And so I hated flying. Every noise freaked me out. And then we come in to land in Hong Kong, and uh, a little factoid, that night a plane got into trouble and was trying to land at its new airport that they hadn't even opened up yet. They didn't even have the lights on, and the plane ended up crashing. So that was the night that we landing. That's how that, that that's how fun the storms were, uh, and we were coming into I think it's called Taipok Airport, and it is hairy. Go online, look up pictures. It's I mean you're uh, there's a some. Poor, bless-your-soul girl looked out the window, and she goes, There's a building! We're going to crash! I mean, the the plane was doing this. Bins were falling open. The leg was just falling out. I'm not exaggerating. You think this is a preacher exaggeration. This is not a preacher exaggeration. It was hairy. And we're doing all these 1G turns, and you could see the, the Bay of Hong Kong down there, and the plane's bouncing, and we finally land uh, and I, I, I was never so glad to be on the ground. And I was like, okay, God, just, God provided for me to get here and do mission work. Uh, that just means that once I'm done with the mission work, the plane is going to crash on the way back to the States. That was my logic. <laughs> so I flew a lot and after that, and I never got over my fear of flying until I had some friends that had their own plane. And uh, if we needed to go down from, from Fredericksburg uh, to Charlotte and meet with the church or something like that, they're like, hey, if you want us to fly you, we'll fly you. And we're, we're talking like a little six-seater Cherokee 6. And I would sit up in the front with the pilot. And I had my headset on. And he would walk me through everything that he was doing. And you'd hear all the chatter on the, uh, on the, the radio. I don't understand a word that they were saying, I don't understand how he knew what they were saying, but they, all the chatter that was going on, and he's writing down notes, and they, he was telling me how would get, he would warm up, the, he would do his run up, it'd pull over to, on the on the tarmac, and he would do his run up on the plane, and he's making sure all the all the uh, gadgets and dumiflages and everything were doing what they're supposed to do. And then we'd get on the runway, and then we would take off, and there was something about that small plane that I could get my head around and that I could understand. There was something about riding in these small planes, and there was, a, there was three or four of them that I got to ride in, that I started understanding how these planes work. And I started understanding the communication about how you went from this spot to this spot. And I started understanding that there's highways in the sky that you don't see, but that's what they follow from point A to point B. And they're handing, it's like a, a baton race. You know, all throughout the country, they're, they're handing the baton of the plane off to another station. And you just kind of go down the line. And then I was, I was learning about flaps, and I was learning about ailerons, and I was learning about um, um, all these gauges, and I was learning about how you how you set your identity and I was learning about how you do your altimeter and I was learning all these things and the more I got in there and the more I learned and understood how to fly the less afraid I was of flying it wasn't my experience in flying that got me uh, uh, away from my fear of flying it was the fact that I understood how it worked Meaning I could be in the back of the plane a hundred times and I would still be freaked out every time they would drop the landing gear because I didn't understand what was going on. But when I could get my head around the why of the big boom and the how of why this was happening and this was happening and this was happening, I started getting my head around, oh, this is actually kind of fun. So much so that my wife is really upset with me because I tell her as soon as I'm done with my PhD, I want to get my I want to get my pilot's license. Because <laughs> I just think that'd be awesome. It'd be fun. Well, I think that a lot of us today live in a society where we we are afraid of this. We don't understand it. It's complicated. It's written in garbly gook. I mean what I mean, if you've been reading reading along in our Bible reading plan, you're coming to some stories and you're going, what in the world is going on? And what I want to do for us today is to demystify the Bible so that you're not afraid of it anymore. Because if you can understand where it came from, you can understand what it is, you can understand how to use it, I think you're going to be better equipped to live out this Christian life. And if you aren't aware of all of these things, if you just take the Bible as, hey, Mima, I love the Bible, and I love the Bible too, you're going to be susceptible to falling when someone comes up and critiques, yeah, but what about this? And you're not going to have an answer for it. And I want you to have an answer for the hope that is within you. So we're going to talk about the Bible today. I hope you got your phones out. I hope you got your notepad out on your phones. I hope you're ready to take notes. I, this is going to be a boring message, I'm just going to tell you, all right? It, it's not going to be one of those messages where I get to be preachy and stuff, um, but it has the, all the potential to be the driest message you've ever heard. Yet at the same time, I've had too much coffee this morning, and I don't know why, but I am like, I'm like wired, I'm wired up this morning. I'm wired up. So, first things first, if you want a really good book, and I'm always a guy that's handing out books to people, like, hey, have you read this, have you read that? So this is a really good book, and we're going to talk, the next two weeks after this, we're going to talk about the origin story of the church. How did we get here? How did Elenia Church get here? But before that, how did the Big C Church get here? All right? And it's a story that you need to understand and you need to know. Like, what's up with the Methodists? What's up with the Presbyterians? What's up with the Eastern Orthodox? What's the Catholic Church all about? How did we get here? What's the Reformation? I want to be able to explain to you how we got here from Jesus dying on the cross, raising three days later, the gospel spreading out, and now we're here. All right? So this book right here is called Church History in Plain Language. It's from Bruce Shelley. Um, It's a really good book. You liked reading it, right? It was good, right? She was in my class. I taught church history, and uh, it, it's a it's a neat book to read. And I'm a history geek, but some of these history books are just like, man, poke my eyeballs out. You know, this is horrible. I mean, you could put them on Audible, and they would be really great uh, Audible to fall asleep to. This book is not like that. It's really, really easy to read. It's fun to read, um, and it's in it's solid. All right, now the Bible historically has always been accepted until the 1700s and this thing called the Enlightenment, Enlightenment came about, all right? And the Enlightenment was basically this philosophical movement that was um, based off of human reason, right? Everything that we need to know, we can understand by human reason alone, and that's basically what the Enlightenment was. And you have, you have some good things that come out of the Enlightenment, all right? Uh, a lot of what you see in the Constitution of the United States comes out of the Lock, uh, Enlightenment. You have John Locke. But there's some things that came out of the Enlightenment that are not so good. One of them is deism. And deism basically believes there is a God, but he's not concerned with you. He's not involved in the world. There is this, there is this creator out there. He created all this, but, you know, good luck if you ever want to get his number or, or sit down over coffee. I mean, he's, he's out to lunch. Um, that's deism then there's atheism which is uh, this is just happenstance everything came out about you know by mistake there is no God Um, but you have people that uh, would start to reason like one of them is Hume Uh, Hume discounted the Bible because he didn't um, believe the miracles in the Bible he said well the Miracles can't be true, therefore the Bible's not true. Now, just a side note, if you want another book and you want to read over 1,200 pages of literature, there's a two-volume work by Craig, Craig Keener about miracles. And he goes through modern miracles all over the globe. Miracles in Africa, miracles in Asia, miracles in South America. I mean, he's got like CAT scans prior and CAT scans after. All right, that's how detailed this book is. And he's a, he's a smart guy, a PhD from Duke. Uh, I think he's at Asbury Seminary. But his whole point is don't discount the Bible because it's got miracles in it because miracles are actually happening everywhere today. All right, so it takes, it takes the argument of Hume out. And then you've got Des, Des, Descartes. I never know how to say his name. Uh, I think, therefore, I am. You have John Locke. But overall, it's human reason overall. And what I want you to understand is if you don't understand why you accept the Bible, you'll be apt to reject the Bible when critics come. And they will come. And you've probably heard them before. Well, you can't trust the Bible because it's this old, and you can't trust the Bible because uh, it's got mistakes in it, and you can't trust the Bible for this reason, or you can't trust the Bible for that reason. So I want to answer five questions for you today. Question number one is, what is the Bible? Question number two, how did we get the Bible? Question number three, what are the versions of the Bible? Question number four, is it reliable? And question number five, what do we believe? Bless you. You're welcome. All right, number one, what is the Bible? All right. At its basic, the Bible is a library of 66 books written over thousands of years by human authors and inspired by the Holy Spirit. One of the parts of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit, God, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'll I'll come back to this later. Now, you have in your Bible, you have the, can I give this to you? You have the Old Testament. uh, some, Some old versions will call it the Old Covenant, and then you have the New Testament or the New Covenant. The Old Testament is 39 books, all right? It's 39 books, and it consists of the law or the Torah, all right? So you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, first five books of the Bible. You've got the law. You've got the prophets. That's going to be like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hosea. You've got major prophets and the minor prophets. And then you've got the writings. The writings are going to be a lot of your poetry, literature, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. If you're in our Bible reading plan right now, you're in one of the writings, and it's Job. That's one of the portions of what's called the writings. And so you have three portions to the Old Testament, the Law, the Prophet, and the Writings. You have five portions to, uh, four portions, no, three, oh, sorry, three portions to the New Testament. You have the Gospel and Acts, all right? You have the Epistles, which is most of the New Testament. Hebrews is a letter, Epistle is a letter, all right? So you have all these letters. You have uh, Timothy's a letter, Titus is a letter, Romans is a letter, Hebrews is a letter, James is a letter. These are all letters. They're writing back and forth to people, all right? then you have one book stands alone that for a long time people didn't know what to do with it and it's the revelation of john all right so you have a prophecy in there all right now the new testament we're going to focus a lot on the new testament today we're going to talk a little bit about the old testament we're going to focus a lot on the new testament because that seems to be one of the the bigger controversial portions and i'll explain why in a second the new testament was written over a 50-year period James was the first book to come out. Um, it was somewhere in the sixties because it had to be some had to be before the sixties because James was martyred. James was was killed in the sixties. All right. Revelation from John was written in ninety five A.D. So it had to be written in a fifty year span. All right. It was written by fishermen. It was written by a doctor. Um, It was written by a tax collector. It was written by religious leaders. So it was a whole gamut of different people that wrote the New Testament. Now, if you're a former Catholic, there's this thing called the Apocrypha. Now, the Apocrypha um, is a book of 10 to 15, it's a a collection of 10 to 15 books that were rejected by Protestants during the Reformation. We're going to talk about the Reformation in the next two weeks. But it was basically a group of guys that were like, Hey, some of this stuff that we're doing in the Catholic Church is corrupt. We want to start a new movement. That's the Reformation in a nutshell. It's overly simplified. Please don't give me emails. I know it's a whole lot more complex than that. All right. So the Apocrypha is 10 to 15 books rejected by the Protestants, but embraced as canonical. Talk about it in a second. Embraced as canonical by Catholics and Eastern Orthodox. All right. In the Apocrypha, you've got the book of Maccabees, which I've actually had to, I had to. Uh, cite the book of Maccabees in my dissertation paper. Um, you have the Epistle of Jeremy. So maybe we're missing out because we don't have Not that I've ever read that. Um, but you have 10 to 15 books, right? We do not use the Apocrypha. Uh, what happened is during the Reformation, the people in the Reformation wanted to go all the way back to the originals, and the Apocrypha was something that was debated even in Second Temple uh, worship. All right so they went back to the originals they stuck with the Old Testament and they canonized the New Testament all right All right that is what the Bible is boring facts Number 2 how did we get the Bible Well a bunch of old farts got together and decided what was going to go into the Bible eh. That is not true. That's the argument that you're going to get from a lot of people. Well, the Bible, basically, the church got together, and they wanted to decide what went into there so it could tailor to what their belief system is, and the church is corrupt, and so they picked these ver- these these uh, uh scriptures these particular books that fit their narrative and blah 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 brah blah. now before before i get any further you got people like this all over the internet you want to go into a black hole you want to go down the rabbit hole go to youtube let the algorithm start working because before you know it you're going to be into the illuminati and you're going to have all these conspiracy theories and the world is flat and we didn't land on the moon all right so the thing is is You can find what you want on the internet. You can find what you want on the internet that will prove without a shadow of a doubt that the world is flat. You can find it. Is it true? Not necessarily. You can talk to some people that have been up there and been like, yeah, this thing's round. I see it spinning around. And that thing, that, that spot right there, it came back around. I don't know why. I mean, to me, that's kind of the definition of its a sphere. All right. I don't want to offend people because we probably have some flat earthers here. So it's okay. All right. Number two. So canonical adoption was a process, not an event. All right. Now, what is canonical? What is canon? Like, is this like a big iron thing? You shine a cannonball in, you blow it out, and that's what a canon is? No. A canon is a collection or a list of sacred books that are accepted as genuine. All right? Now, what made the books that we have in the New Testament special are three things. The first thing is they had this self-evidencing Quality about them. And I know that seems like a really loose kind of qualification, like, wow, that's really subjective. Well, what I'm talking about here is you had people that were reading the scriptures, and when they would read the scriptures, something inside of them would happen. So, take for instance, Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr, he's trying to figure out what the meaning of life was. He was going to the Stoics, he was going to Plato, he was going to Pythagorean who I know he did the triangle thing, but there's something else there too. All right, he's going to Pythagorean. Um, and an old man came by, beside him, and he was meditating by the seashore, and he was like, hey, you got it all wrong. You need to start reading uh, the Jewish scriptures. You need to start reading, you need to start reading some things that, that uh, these other writers have written. And so he read the scriptures, and he was converted. He became a Christian. That is the self-evidencing quality of the New Testament. That is not an isolated event. You've got Tatian, Theophilus, Hilary, Victorinius, Augustine, all of these guys. They read the scriptures. They converted to Christianity. There was a power behind them. Number two. Oh, let me read this verse real quick. 2 Peter 3.16. Also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother, Paul, has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. I love Peter. Peter and Paul spent some time together. And when Paul was converted, uh, Paul went to Jerusalem and spent some time with Peter. And I wonder what their relationship was like, because this cracks me up. Peter's still speaking. He, Paul, speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some things that are hard to understand in them. The untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of scriptures. So Peter is already, when he writes his letter, equating the writings of Paul with scripture. There was a power behind them. And he was saying, listen, I know, I know Paul, he's, oh, he's going over his head it's a lot. I, I get that. He's like, just be diligent. Just stick with them. They have a power behind them. Number two. Wide adoption in Christian worship. If you can just take a message, it would be great. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. I've always wanted to do that. (laughs) Uh, All right. Second thing, wide adoption in Christian worship. Colossians 4.16 says this. After this letter has been read at your gathering, Paul's writing this, haven't read also in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you read the letter from Laodicea. So what happened was these churches were swapping these letters and they were widely accepted as canonical. They were widely accepted as authoritative, all right? Then the third thing and the final thing is apostolic ties. It wasn't the clincher because we know that Luke wasn't an apostle, right? Uh, he wrote Luke and he wrote Acts, all right? Um, and so you have these. You do have some instances where you have some books of the Bible that weren't written by apostles. But for a majority of them, if they was written by an apostle, they're like, all right, we need to listen to this. Now, what's an apostle? Let's talk about that. Apostle is some of the guys that walked around with Jesus. Okay, they saw Jesus die. They saw him rise again. He, they are proof. They are eyewitness accounts that this guy was dead, and I saw him alive. Which is really, really important. And I could go into apologetics and we'll get to that maybe in another, another series. But it's very important. Alright, another reason why the canon was created of the New Testament was controversies. Yay! Everybody loves a good fight, right? And so there started to be these controversies that were happening in the church. The first one was this guy named Marcion. And this is 100 AD. So when I say 100 AD, you need to think that this is 110 years after Jesus. Because Jesus died probably about 30 A.D., all right? So you're looking at 140 A.D. is Marcion. Marcion had a man crush on Paul. Loved Paul. Paul was, Paul was the bee's knees. I mean, he, he hung the moon. He believed that Jesus came twice. Jesus came, and then Jesus came again to tell Paul what was really up. That's what he thought. Alright. And so he started to create this uh, the, his own canon that was completely mutilated. Alright. He believed the God of the Old Testament was not the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament was all hateful and mean. And the God of the New Testament was all benevolent and loving. And uh, so he rejected anything that had any sort of Jewish ties to it. So and he had to really twist the teachings of Paul. I mean, really, really twist them. So, he rejected Matthew, Mark, Acts, Hebrews, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, most of Luke. is a mess. So, the, the church had two problems. They had a problem of a primarily Pauline, meaning Paul wrote it, a primarily Pauline New Testament. And they also had the problem of this guy just completely ditched the Old Testament. He's just like, I don't need it. And... What they realized is that, and this is a quote from Bruce. It's like we know each other, we don't. Bruce Shelley. Um, he said, jettisoning the Old Testament was suicidal. Does the new covenant make sense without the old? All right? So the church realized that people needed to understand that not only was there a creating God in Genesis, that God was also a redeeming God in the New Testament. And that was important for the church to understand. It's also important for us because we need to realize that Christianity is not a made-up religion. It is a historical religion. It's got really, really, really deep roots. It's got a lineage to it. It's got a legacy to it. And so that's why the Old Testament is important. Then you had another guy. Let's call him the m and We have Marcion, then we have Mont- uh, Montanus. Montanus was 160 AD. He challenged people to higher standards of ethics. Like, he's very pious. Uh, The problem with him is that him and two other ladies, they would go around and they would prophesy everywhere they went. They were kind of like, um, they they were a loose cannon. Let's put it that way. They were a loose cannon, no pun intended. I wonder if that's where that came from. Yeah, none of y'all got that except her. We could work on y'all. But here's what he did. In the name of the Holy Spirit, Montanus denied that God had revealed himself through the person of Jesus Christ. So he was going around prophesying that he had some special knowledge that none of y'all had. And then what the church realized is if Marcion was forcing their hand to form a New Testament, Montanus was forcing their hand that they needed to close it. They needed to go, like, okay, this is what it is. All right? Now, The other thing about the adoption of the New Testament canon is you had official lists that started to come out. So you have Marcion and uh, Montanus, which never could say his name. But about 190 A.D., you have this list that gets circulated. It's called the Muratorian Canon. It already has 85% of the books of the New Testament that you and I use in it already. Okay, So it's not like these bunch of old guys got together and voted. Though they did come alongside of this uh, and, start, and start putting their seal of approval on it. All right? But already to that point, it was very widely accepted that these were good books. These were authoritative books. These books were scripture, as Peter says, about Paul's writings. All right? You have Athanasius in 367 AD. He's celebrating Easter. There's an Easter celebration. He writes a letter. All books... All 27 books. I had to go back and look. Can't do math in my head. All 27 books of the New Testament are on his list. All right. So not only do you have Athanasius. After that, in 393 A.D., you have the Council of Hippo, and then in 397, you have the Council of Carthage. Uh, they published the same list. We're going to talk about councils in a second, like or not in a second. We're going to talk about them in the next couple weeks. About who got, who, got, who got to say who went to these councils, right? Because that's always a thing of like, well, who were these guys? All right, so here's what I want you to understand is it was already widely accepted. So much so that you have all of these church fathers who were already quoting Scripture as if it were canon. Um, you've got Clement. He was born in 35 AD. He was born five years after Jesus. And he quotes 13 books of the New Testament. Polycarp, born in 69 A.D., right up here in Smyrna. He was born in Smyrna. He was born in Smyrna, but not that Smyrna. I'm trying to make this entertaining for you all. Um, And then you have Ignatius. Ignatius died, I'm not sure when he was born, but he died in 108 A.D. He quoted from the Gospels, Paul's letters. Then you have a whole bunch of old dudes I'm not even going to say their name because I'm going to mess them up. I've got like another 10 guys here. They all died prior to 150 A.D. They were all already quoting scripture. They were already quoting the New Testament. All right? Now, 1,200s come along. Some guy thinks it's a great idea to take the Bible, chomp, ch- uh, chop it up into chapters. That's how you got chapters. Um 1500s come along, a guy is like, it's probably a good idea to make verses out of this. So he goes in and he starts putting verses in there. That's how you get chapter and verse, all right? That's why Jesus, when he is quoting the Old Testament, doesn't quote chapter and verse, all right? That's why I think it's okay that you can memorize scripture and not know exactly where it was, all right? Thank God for Google, right? Because you're like, what is it? You're You're looking up a phrase in Google and tell you where it's at. But it's okay that you don't know where chapter and verse is. All right, because chapter and verse is a relatively new thing. Number three, versions of the Bible. Versions of the Bible. Let me just put a let me just tie a bow on number two. Number two, the canon didn't happen because a bunch of guys came and voted on it. It was already widely accepted because these books had authoritative nature to themselves. The people of the early church who knew the apostles saw this authoritative. Um, power behind them, began to use these scriptures on a wide basis. It was all widely accepted. There is no controversy there. Okay. Number three, versions of the Bible. This is really boring. All right. You've got formal equivalence. Formal equivalence means word for word. That means if they have a Greek word here, they're going to turn it into an English word. All right. Um, Your formal equivalence Uh, Versions are going to be in New American Standard Bible, NASB, and the English Standard Version, or the ESV. The NASB is is widely known as the most accurate version out there, all right? Um, However, it's word for word, meaning that if the author wrote, I looked outside my window and it was raining cats and dogs, and you read it and you're like, what was going on in the first century? There's cats and dogs were falling from the sky, all right? That's why word for word doesn't work all the time, all right? is because you start to miss euphemisms. You start to miss what their thought was behind it, all right? You, you, you can't take figures of speech because we don't live in 50 A.D. We don't understand the figures of speech in 50 A.D., all right? That's why uh, people started translating in what's called dynamic equivalence or thought for thought. A thought-for-thought thought version, which is widely accepted, is the NIV or New International Version. All right. Now, there's another version that you can use. It's a paraphrase version. That would be the message. I don't know if you were here last week, but I, I re a scripture from Galatians from the message because it just has a punch to it because it really puts it in our language, and he's very much paraphrasing it. Now, I understand when you read a paraphrase, And honestly, if you read any version of the Bible, translation equals interpretation. The way that they translate it tells you what they interpreted the Scripture to be. You need to realize that, okay? Um, The message is a paraphrase. The CEV is a paraphrase. Then there's what I use. This is called the Christian Standard Bible. Most of what you see up on the screen is CSB or Christian Standard Bible. If you go to their website, they say, We use not formal equivalents, not dynamic equivalents, we use optimal equivalents. All right? Their idea is that they're trying to bridge the gap between the two and be as word for word as possible, but also translate it into common language. Honestly, uh, I hope nobody from the CSB is listening. It's a marketing gimmick, it's still dynamic equivalents. All right? Um, now, if your meme all says, if the King James version was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. All right? Which I have heard at my previous church. Uh, I went to a church when I grew up, it was all King James only. All right? The thing about King James that they don't understand is they're not reading the original King James. So to help everybody, I thought I would bring in, uh, some original King James, and I thought that we would all quote and say out loud. If we'll have it on the screen, John three sixteen. If we can put that up, it's from King James sixteen eleven. So if everybody would read with me, for God so. I have no idea. lewd I don't even know what that. It's like a B and a P had a baby. Uh, that he gal, it's it's all right. Here's my point. Here's my point. You can't read the King James 1611. So they came out with a new King James. Also, the King James 1611 actually has the Apocrypha in it. Nobody realizes that either. Language changes. Language changes. That's why it is so difficult to translate the Greek New Testament word for word. And the NASB honestly does a fantastic job at it. There are some words in the Greek we don't have words for. All right? So language changes. King James, that was Old English. That's what they they talk like in 1611. And, And we have no idea what they're saying. All right? So translations change, all right. So if you if your memal really believes in the King James only, go buy her a King James sixteen eleven. Actually, we did that for my grandmother one time, (laughs) and she loved it. Um, (laughs) Number four is the Bible reliable? All right, let's talk about reliability. Reliable has to do is can we really trust what's going on in there? And I, I'm probably going to go over today, so hope you hope we're not going to miss the Super Bowl. It's okay. Um, there are 643 manuscripts of Homer's Iliad. All right, no one's questioning Homer's Iliad. All right, you had to read it in school. That was the class everybody hated. You had to read the Iliad and the Odyssey, and like why are they making us do this? But no one doubts that. That's what wrote Homer wrote, is the Iliad. And they have, that's because we have so many manuscripts over, over thousands of years, 643. There are 5,600 5, manuscripts of the New Testament in Greek. 5,600. Now, a lot of those are hundreds of years later. I get that. All right? So let's just talk about the ones that are early. There are 12 manuscripts of the New Testament in existence from the second century. The second century is not 200s. You all understand that, right? Oh, I hated that in school. Second century, and I would think 200s. The second century is the 100s, all right? Because the first century is the aughts, Aughts? it's the aughts. All right, You you have 12 manuscripts from the second century, 64 manuscripts from the third century, 48 manuscripts from the 4th century. Over 300 years, you have 124 manuscripts of the Greek New Testament. Some of these are partials. They're not complete. Not all of them are complete. Classical authors, when I say classical authors, I'm talking about people who wrote history from uh, from that early times, like we're talking 100s, 200s, classical authors. The... Average of classical authors to have any manuscript of what they wrote within the first three hundred years, the average for those classical authors is zero. Zero. Give you an example: Alexander the Great, three hundred and thirty BC. The first report that we can and we know a lot about Alexander the Great. The first report, the first anything about Alexander the Great that we look at that we can trust about who he is is 300 years later, the first one. There was some contemporaries, but they've lost them all. Now, that's that's Greek. When the church happened, they were taking Paul's letters. They were translating them into Latin and Coptic and Syriac and Gothic and Georgian and Armenian. There's 20,000 manuscripts in various languages, 20,000. So if I was to take your average classical author and how many manuscripts they have over their lifetime, the average for any classical author was 20. The New Testament has 20,000, all right? So let me, let me give you an example. If I was to give, um, if I was to give Laura... and I would say this is the equivalent of how many manuscripts there are for your classical work. It's $20,000. And I was to give Miha the equivalent of how many manuscripts there were for the New Testament in all the languages, I would be giving Miha $20 million. All right, is the New Testament reliable? Yes, I think so. Now, critics are going to say, Oh, by the way, I missed this. Doesn't count. There's a million, a million quotations of the New Testament from early church fathers. A million. Doesn't count the manuscripts. That's just that's just Clement writing his what he thinks about a particular verse. All right. Now critics will note, well, yeah, but those twenty thousand uh, New Testaments. There are over four hundred thousand. Textual differences, four hundred thousand. How could they have gotten it so wrong? They got four hundred thousand. All of those mistakes in there. Yeah, okay. Here's a textual variant. One guy said Jesus. One guy said Christ. Uh, one guy forgot to put the n at the end of his a, instead an instead of a. And that when he was using his typewriter, actually put a comma in the wrong spot. All of these things, they forgot to put a tittle there. They forgot to put a jot there. They forgot to put something there. That counts as a textual variant. So when someone says, well, there's 400,000 variations, there are no variations that are theologically significant. None. There are no variations in those manuscripts that say, Bob was the guy that died on the cross, not Jesus. There's nothing like that. They all agree. The thing is, is they've been wanting to do this with the, with the Old Testament for all this time. They want to disprove the Old Testament. And they're like, well, yeah, but there's not this city. And guess what? Archaeology finds the city. And then they say the same thing about the New Testament. And they look at the New Testament and they're like, yeah, but there's probably all these mistakes. And then they find an earlier manuscript and it matches everything else that we have. All right? So none of those discrepancies are theologically significant. They are Actually, they're honestly, they're ludicrous. They're ridiculous. They're just throwing out a number to make it look bad. Now, there are, over 800 years, there are additions to the Bible. Rock your world. 2%, which is not bad, 2% over 800 years. So if you have someone who says, yeah, but the Bible was written from a man's perspective to match their narrative, Wow, you got 800 years and all they could come up with is two percent. And the thing with the two percent is we know what the two percent is and it's marked in your Bible. Um, you finished Mark today, right? All the good all the good Christians in here. they're like, yes, Pastor Jeremy, I finished Mark today. Matthew, Mark, Luke. What happened was the King James was written, Okay, if you go into King James, you're not going to see this. Uh, all the new translations have this. You have a line in Mark chapter 16, verse after verse eight, and then it has verse nine through verse twenty, and it says early on the first day of the week after he had risen. All right, it's going to have a little notation that says some of the earliest manuscripts conclude with sixteen eight. So we know what they are. And again, none of them are theologically significant. None of them. So anytime someone wants to say the Bible was made up, the Bible is full of errors, the Bible has all these mistakes, just honestly, you're probably not going to convince them Just smile and nod because you know what the truth is. In fact, with all of those variations, you're able to cross-reference them, and you're able to find what the truth is. And we have the truth. We have the truth. Number five, what do we believe? Well, if you go to our website, it says this. The Old and New Testaments are a collection of 66 books written by human authors, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and inerrant as originally given. They are the complete revelation of his will for salvation of mankind and constitute the divine and only rule of Christian faith and practice. Amen and amen. All right, so let's walk through some terminology. The first thing I want you to understand is what does inspired mean? Inspired means that we believe that the Bible was written by the Holy Spirit through human hands, that God penned this, that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. John 14:23 says this. Jesus answered, "If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, my Father will love him, and we will come to Him and make our home with Him." Can we put the verse up? Do we not have it? If we don't have it, it was my mistake. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but is for the Father, is from the Father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the counselor, watch this, and this is the context that it was written in, and I've never seen this before until now. The counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and remind you of everything I have told you. He's saying, listen, we have gone through a lot these past three years. You're about to write down everything that I did. You're about to write some significant things that people are going to read from thousands of years from now. The Holy Spirit is going to come alongside you, and he's going to remind you of what's happened so you can record it accurately. Not just here, there's two other verses that say the same thing. All right. So it is inspired. Number two, inerrant and infallible. Inerrant means it is without fault or error. It does not affirm anything not to be true. Infallible means it's impossible to fail. There can be no errors. uh, Therefore, it's trustworthy. All right. I'm going to be honest with you about infallibility and inerrancy. The Christian community can't even figure out what those words mean. Some people think inerrancy is more important. Some people think infallibility is more important, and they have these little what I call dorm room fights, where they're like infallibility, inerrancy. What is this? What is that? Here's what you need to understand: the Bible is the God, the the Word of God as He wants us to have it. Period. It is the communication of truth of the salvation of mankind. Period. I don't like getting into these fights of, well, was Jonah swallowed by a big fish or a whale? Is that really possible? You're missing the point of the story. If you're really like that wrapped up, if it's a fish or what kind of fish it was or what, you know, you're missing the point of the story. You're missing the point of what the what the story is trying to communicate to us. And so I don't like getting caught up into that. Do I think it's infallible and error? Yeah, I do. I don't think there's any mistakes in it. I don't think that there's anything in here that is mistakes like, Oh, man, we were supposed to do that to get salvation, and there was a mistake in the Bible, and now we're really going to pay the price when Jesus comes back. That's not, I don't believe that. I believe that when you read something, and you digest it, and you apply it to your life, it is true. It is transformative. It is life-changing. I believe that you can trust it, all right? So just cutting through the the weird words, all right? Wayne Grudem says this, and, he, and, and when people say infallible and inerrant, they say infallible and errant as originally given by uh, the original autographs. Meaning, the, pen, <clears throat> the letter that Matthew penned is infallible and inerrant. All right? Well, then everybody starts throwing in what about all the mistakes that are made from, from copying and copying and copying? This is what Wayne Greedham says. For most practical purposes, then, the current published scholarly texts of the Hebrew Old Testament and Greek New Testament are the same as the original manuscripts. Thus, when we say that the original manuscripts were inerrant, we are also implying that over 99% of the words in our present manuscripts are also inerrant, for they are exact copies of the original. Guy's way smarter than me. All right. Um, historical acceptance. The Bible was... From the Apostolic Church to the Medieval Church, the Reformation, all believed that the Bible was to be trusted. Clement of Rome, he said that the Bible was the utterances of the Holy Spirit. Arrhenius said scriptures are divine, they are perfect, they are uttered by God, born in 130. Clement, he said this in 88 AD. Clement of Alexandria, a different Clement, it was a popular name, is the baby name of the year. Um, all scripture is spoken by the mouth of the Lord. Origen, he said, Old and New Testament are divine and authored by God. and He was born in 184. So there's never been a question, especially in the early church, if this is authoritative word of God, that it could be trusted. All right. So here is what you need to understand about the word of God. Five things. Number one, and we're going to get out of here so we can. I don't know who's going to win. I think I'm pulling for the bangles. Um, number one, the Bible is the word of God. 2 Peter 1:20 Above all you know this no prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man Instead men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit All right this is the book of God it is for us it is not a book of morality it is not a book of like do's and don'ts, it is the word of it is the covenant of God between God and man. Number two, the Bible is a communal covenant. Second Timothy two fifteen says, "Study, study, he's talking to Timothy. Paul is study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that has nothing to be ashamed of, rightly dividing the word of truth." The context of this, he's telling Timothy, is like hey, you can't just make up what you think. Now, I love small group, and small group's great, but, um, you know, honestly, when, when Sally Sue says, well, I think this is what this verse means, I'm like, that's, that's great, but the verse means what the verse means. It's a communal covenant. It's a communal scripture. In fact, the word of God was originally not read. It was originally heard. The church would gather, the ecclesia, they would gather together. They would hear the scriptures read. You didn't get to go in your own room and decide what it meant. There was a community of people that were coming along and deciphering what it meant. And so rejecting the Bible, and this is what's happening in today's society, rejecting the Bible Because it doesn't fit your narrative or your own views does not make you correct. You can't just shoehorn the Bible into 2022. It doesn't work that way. And it's not new. People have been trying to do this for thousands of years. Number three, the Bible is for today. Matthew 5.17 says, don't think that I come to abolish the law of the prophets. Jesus is saying this. I did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of the letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Jesus is saying, it's going to be here until I come back. Number four, as we read the Bible, the Bible reads us. All Scripture is inspired by God, is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped, in every good work. Psalms 1.3 says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, he delights in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates it on day and night. He's like a tree planted by flowing streams that bears its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. So here's what i here's my challenge for you, and this is what I want you to do. One, I want you to read God's word. Read God's word. First Peter two two says, "Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation." Listen, you got, you got saved by Jesus. You accepted Jesus. Paul's saying, "Hey, don't stop there. Let's let's all grow up a little bit. And the way that you grow up a little bit." is get into the Word. Get into the Word. Second verse is 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as flesh, but of, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink. Not solid food. Because if you tried to chew on it, you would have choked. Since you were not ready for it. In fact... He bemoans. You're still not ready for it because you're not, you're not even digesting the milk I give you. He says, because you are still wor- wor- worldly, not wordly. Ah. You're all playing wordly. Everybody's playing wordly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? You can read the word. You can do it today. Go to leniachurch.org forward slash Bible. You can read right there. Ryan did a fantastic job of putting that on the website. It was not an easy task. But every time you go there, the new date pops up. Today is February the 13th, and your reading is there, and today you finished Mark. Actually, right now, if you have been sticking with the Bible reading plan from January 1, you would have finished Matthew, you would have finished Mark, you would have finished Romans today, you would have finished Esther, you would have finished Nehemiah, you would have finished Ezra, and you would have finished Acts from January 1 until today. You can do it. You can do it. Number two, pray God's word. I want you to read God's word. Number two, I want you to pray God's word. Number three, I want you to think about God's word. And number four, I want you to do God's word. James one twenty two says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. In other words, what he's saying is, yeah, you listen to the word all the time, but it's not making any change. Don't deceive yourself that you're actually taking it in because if you would be taking it in, it would actually elicit some change. And James is saying some things have got to change around here. He's trying to get people to do what is said, not just hear what is said. Don't deceive yourselves, he says. So that's it. That's my education on where the Bible came from. That is officially the longest message I've preached at Alenia Church. (laughs) I apologize to all the guests. Let me say this real quick, and then we'll close. John John 1.1. I wasn't planning on doing this, so let me get in here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that had been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness is not overcome it. In the beginning was the word. What John is saying is in the beginning was this this word. It's it's an idea of like the, the essence of who God is. The essence of who God is is in Jesus Christ. The essence of who God is is in this book. Jesus says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth And then Jesus lays claim that this book is authoritative. And John says, hey, really, the reason it's authoritative is because they're one and the same. And if you don't know Jesus, you don't know the book. And let me say this, too. The early church did not spread because they had a New Testament. They didn't have a New Testament. They had letters from Paul. The early church spread because men and women like you and I heard the gospel that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, died on the cross according to the Old Testament scriptures, and rose three days later. Eyewitness accounts testified to it, and that spread like wildfire in the known world. And I believe that that gospel has the same power today. And that if you don't know Jesus, that is my number one goal for you today, is that you would accept who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God. He has come to take away the sins of the world. He has come to make you right. And so I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you've never accepted Christ in your life and you would like to do that today, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? All right. Let me just do this. and. We do this every Sunday. I want to give people an opportunity to pray, receive Christ. And you can just pray this out loud for the sake of those. We're going to ask everybody to do this, to repeat after me for the sake of those who are praying it for the first time. Say, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I love you. I have fallen short, but I believe that you are Lord. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord and that God raised you from the dead. Come inside of me and make me new. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you prayed to receive Christ at the end of that message, would you let us know? We would love to put a free gift in your hand and some resources to help you on this new journey with Jesus. Just go to eleniachurchorg forward slash connect and fill out the short form. If you would like to partner with this ministry, you can do so by going to eleniachurchorg forward slash give. There, you can make an easy tax-deductible gift to further the reach of the gospel through Elenia Church. Would you also pray about becoming a monthly partner through your financial giving? Our site makes it easy to set up a recurring schedule. Our prayer is that we are able to begin video recording these messages in the 2022 year, and your giving will help make that possible. Please take a moment to share this message, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you get your regular diet of podcasts. It helps us by getting the word out about what God is doing here in Middle Tennessee. Last but not least, if you live in the Murfreesboro area, please come by and visit. We meet at Oakland Middle School at 10 a.m. We are a church family that will welcome you with open arms. Remember, God sees you, He loves you, and He wants the best for you. God bless.